Welcome to the Cars Deep and Wide podcast. This is episode five with Scott and Laura Gutwine. This past May, my wife Amy and I sat down with Karis members and deacons Scott and Laura Gutwine and had a conversation about how to disciple our children. Hopefully you caught the first part of this interview. Today we bring you the second, and I hope it is encouraging and challenging to you. Well, can you talk about how discipleship has changed? You've seen that change in various stages of the life of your kids. And and just kind of talk more broadly, but then more specifically, just what it looked like with really small kids. I'm a kindergarten teacher, so uh, I think I've learned, even as time has gone by, that really kids understand a lot more than we think they do. Um, so you can really start teaching your kids at a very, very young age um, what what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, my kindergartners understand that. So when you talk to your kids, you, you can start talking to them. Well, I know Harmony and Josh, they're reading that Jesus Storybook Bible, right? Is that what we should call it? To, to Jackson right now. And Maybe he's understanding it, maybe he's not, but I don't, I don't think they're ever too young to start talking about the truths of the gospel. And, you know, obviously as language is starts to become more developed in kids, they're going to understand a lot more and more. But I think just um, talking to them about their the fact that they're sinners when, when they get to the point where they're doing things wrong and they understand, you know, just bringing the gospel right in there and saying, you know, do you realize that what you did is wrong and that you're a sinner, you need Jesus, he died on the cross for your sins. I talk about that with my kindergarten kids every day. I wish I had done that more with my kids when they were little. Now that I'm a kindergarten teacher and realize that I can do it every day, just reiterate the gospel, you know, preaching the gospel every day to yourself and to your kids. Like, they're they're not too young. Um, we need to preach it to ourselves, you know, um, so obviously it gets deeper as a child gets older, but I think it starts when they're young. And then as they start to get a little bit older, I think you can talk about what the ru- ruling issues are behind their behavior, why they're arguing with their brother about a basketball or whatever, or, you know, if they're fighting over a game or, you know, why, why are you ha- acting that way and helping them to get to the root of the issue and, um, I think that that can start pretty early too. I mean, I've had some interesting conversations with kindergartners that have fought about things where we sit, sat together in a circle and they're asking each other forgiveness and they're, you know, accepting forgiveness and having a more grown up conversation than I think grown ups have sometimes in resolving conflict. So kids are really capable of a lot. And man, if you guys honestly, I, I came from a really legalistic church, and so a lot of the things that I know now I didn't know as, you know, early on as a parent. I wish I had. You know, so help help your kids to see where their their idols are at and, you know, help them see how much they need Jesus with the, the sin that's in their heart and, you know, just keep sharing that with them and, you know, not be so behavior-focused like I was early on, you know. 
And then when they get older, you can have really excellent conversations, um, you know, when, as they enter their teen years and just, you know, really helping them hash through the, the garbage of life because the teen years are, are tough and there's a lot of issues that they're going to be faced with and have to deal with. Um, and they, they really need a lot of help. They need you walking right beside them every minute for that because there's, there can be really some rough, rocky roads during that time. And that's the time that they really need you the most. And I remember you telling me usually those are not the nights that you feel refreshed and those are not the nights you plan and are ready for it, right? Exactly. Sometimes you have discussions till 12 midnight because you're, you're really trying to get to the heart of issues with kids. And, and if it means you get less sleep, you get less sleep. I know that like when you're a new parent, it's because they keep waking up and they have an earache or whatever, when, when they get older, it might be because they're working through a really emotional, deep conflict in their life or troubled time. So, It starts young, but as they get older, you can have this conversation more and more um, definitively with them. But that is to explore what issues are really behind the actions. Um, not going after, you know, why did you, you know, as a th- two- or three-year-old, why did you hit your brother or sister? But not just stopping there, um, but getting to what heart issue is there, what sin issue is there, and getting them to see, you know, because he took my toy. Well, you know, why did he take your toy? Or why did you, why were you mad at that? And then work on them understanding that the bent of their heart towards selfishness and sin in that situation. To when they get older, in six, seven, eight, nine years old, you know, why did you lie to me? I don't know. We've all heard that one or said it ourselves. <laughs> and um, and not letting them get away with that answer. And it takes time to do that. You can't, if you're just worried about, let's make this fast, quick and dirty and get it done with, um, parenting takes a lot of time. And to get a seven-year-old to work through why he lied to you takes time and and then to work through that and help them understand you have a sin nature inside you. You may have heard this, but several years back there was a fairly well-known kids curriculum that for the Easter lesson, the Good Friday lesson, just left out the cross. They just said, hey, it's too scary for little kids. And there was just kind of a, I think, a understandable uproar on the internet about seriously, you know, and I think a lot have believers have really imbibed a sort of a secular child development model where we, we, we really think that we have to put off, you know, what they would say really, you know, mature themes for a long time. And one thing I've learned from my wife and is just, um, taking on whatever they talk about, you know, let, exposing them kind of the, the full range of, the human experience, you know, from the beginning, you know, if they ask a question, you know, answer it, you know, um, she could probably give examples of that and, and allow them to understand, um, Jesus, but allow them to don't unnecessarily shield them from the world and the sin that's out there. And the reason why we need a savior, I, w- I would argue from the very beginning. Yeah. And those are questions at young ages when they start, um, understanding things, or if you have the talk with them, you know, they're going to ask questions about sex and drugs. Are we going to be the ones answering? Or are we going to say, we're going to tell you when you're older? You know, like I heard that all the time growing up. So I think I've 
overcompensated the other way to share a whole lot. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's kind of who's going to be telling them those answers. Let it be us. Yeah, one thing we talked about this last week was conversion. So when I talked about the Great Commission, you know, calling kids to commitment, can you talk about what you've learned? Well, we're a little bit older. So um, uh, I became a Christian during the whole Born Again movement. Uh, you may not even know what that was, but that's during the 70s. And, you know, like I found Jesus, you can find him too. So um, I kind of entered parenting with, I need my children to become Christians. And that was like my goal when we had Harmony. Like, just make sure she makes a decision to follow Jesus ASAP, because I want to make sure she goes to heaven. So and we, I talked a lot about the gospel with her and it was Easter time, and we were dying eggs, and so we were talking about the, you know, uh, Easter, I would say Christmas. We were talking about Easter and Jesus dying on the cross, and I thought, oh, this is a good chance to ask her if she wants to ask Jesus into her heart. So we did that, and uh, she said, sure, I'll ask Jesus into my heart, and so she prayed the prayer, and I was like, yay, she's a Christian, and she was four. <laughs> I, I don't really think that she understood then. But boy, did that make me feel good and Scott feel good. Like, wow, she's a Christian. And I think I realized as she came to a crisis in her, in her faith or in her walk with God and her journey, however you want to describe it, that, you know, maybe that's not the way to approach it. I think it got kind of like worked in our hearts over time with that. But I would definitely steer away from that. Actually, David Platt has a really good article, like, kind of talking a bit against that whole asking Jesus into your heart philosophy because it's really not very biblical at all. Um, it's it's kind of confusing to kids. It really doesn't help them to understand what the gospel is. And I think I think our advice would be just keep preaching the gospel to your kids. Don't force them to make a commitment of faith. Let God do that work in their hearts. And when they see their need they'll they'll come to that point. I remember asking Nate, "Have you have you asked Jesus into your heart yet?" Nope. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. And finally one Are day we were having to yet? <laughs> nope. <laughs> and finally one day he just told me that he had he we still use that term, asked Jesus into his heart. Um but I think it, he was ready to do it then and and on his own and he didn't need us pressuring him. And then, so by the time we had Kenya, I was like, whoa, I'm like laying off on this. Um, not going to push this at all. And we just took a, a much gentler approach with her. And there was one night where we were reading a passage from John together, and it talked about, you know, anyone who's with Jesus is in the light. If you're not with Jesus, you're in the darkness. And she looked at me and she said, oh, mom, I'm in the darkness, aren't I? And I said, um, you know, have you become a follower of Jesus? And she said, no, I'm in the darkness. And I said, oh, um, I didn't want to push it, you know. She's like, mom, I want to be in the light. I said, okay. So I explained the gospel to her at that point, and she was ready because God had brought her to that point, not us in our zealousness to make sure that they're saved, you know. Um, so I think that that would be our advice is don't push it on your kids because the last thing you want in the world is them to be walking around with a false assurance of having a relationship with Christ when they really don't. 
I see that a lot. Even working in a Christian school, there's a teacher who pushes the kids to make a decision, and I just I'm like, oh, please don't do that. You know, let let God work in their hearts and bring them to see their need for Him. And God, the the real thing is is God is the one who draws people to Himself. It's not us as parents, whether we're discipling our children or whether we're discipling other people around us, is God who actually draws people to himself. And when we tend to want to usurp God's role, it really doesn't end well. I think that's why, you know, in churches today, a lot of kids leave youth group, leave churches, go off to college, and they fall off the radar because they haven't really been discipled. They haven't really come to see their need for Christ. Yeah, but they've been led to believe that they are. Yeah, yeah, they've been there, done that kind of thing. But I, I've spent years working in college ministry, you know, and just countless kids, the same thing, you know. They were getting rebaptized, you know, recommitting. I mean, I don't believe in rebaptism. You know, if you're baptized as a believer, it's just once. But just saw that over and over and over just really impressed upon me that we just need to be more careful in how we talk about conversion. And most of the time, I think it has more to do. It's similar to in the checkout line. It it's more to, has more to do with the parents than it does the kids. It's really, I want to check it off the list, you know. He's in the kingdom. Check. Okay, I'll ask the community question. Um, okay. I'll, I'll start by saying there's been so many times. It's great to have Scott and Laura um, that will answer our texts at any time. They love us. Um, and definitely are part of our community, and it's great. Um, there are moments that that will be like, let's let's talk to Scott Laura and bounce that off of them, you know. And there's other moments of Kevin's like, call Laura right away, please. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott and Laura, talk about the importance of community in discipling your kids, and what are the ways that the church as a whole can help um, with your children. The um, there's one story that comes to mind, and. It happens to involve my parents, but my parents are believers, and and this could be any believer that would do this here. As a as a person walking with God, I have blind spots in my life, and as I disciple my children, there are things that I'm going to do that you as parents are going to do that you're not going to see fully clearly because you're seeing it through your own rose-colored glasses. And we were out here. We actually lived in New Jersey at the time. We came out here to visit my parents. And one of our kids was just two, three, four, five, six, seven times do this, and the child would take eight or ten times and maybe then would decide to obey or not. And my parents looked at us and said, do you guys realize what you're doing? And we were like, what? And my parents said, you're not expecting them to obey you at the first time. You have no expectation. And as Laura and I looked at that, we're like, oh, that's not good. And so as we began to to then change the way we were discipling our children, but the importance of that is that there was someone else who came into our lives because we allowed them to to say, you need to change the way that you're parenting. And there's other ways that that becomes where others can be included in. The impact that um, people that we've had in our home have had on our children, from missionaries to 
a lot of you guys has impacted the way that we've our kids have grown and their understanding of who Christ is. And that's why we feel incredibly strongly about the importance of having the body um, be there with us as we disciple our children. Yeah, and there's been a lot of people throughout our different stages who have been a part of our kids' lives when we were in New Jersey. There was people that kind of just took our kids under their wings when we moved here. Josh was the youth director. Um, he kind of came under um, and became a part of our family and helped with discipling our kids. And um, Jessica Fleshman with Kenya and now Alex Teeter with Kenya and just different guys here with our sons. You know, you you can't do it alone. You, you need other people to come alongside of your kids to um, just kind of reinforce what you're doing as parents. Um, we're, we're not in this alone. We're a team. We're a family working together. Um, and I think, like Scott said, that sometimes people also need to just come alongside us and help us see where we're being blind to something. Um, I can think of times where Josh had meetings with Kenya and Scott and I where Kenya wanted to do a particular sport, and I didn't think that it was realistic for her to do it. And as we work, worked through it, I realized that I was being kind of blind and not being open to her being a part of something. So I think we need people to come and step inside our lives and open us up to where we're not seeing things. And and even what Laura was saying, both us and our children are sinners. And as the parents, often we need to be corrected in what we're doing. So it's not just we need to correct our children and disciple them, but we need to be discipled ongoing. And that's the another reason for people being apart because people continue to disciple us. And honestly, like this community is so, this family is so good with that. You know, this is just such a healthy environment for that. We're really thankful. The, the modeling thing I think is so huge here. I've talked about this a lot. I think that you probably heard me say this, but just um, having, even though we don't have this huge rocking youth group, you know, down the road we'll have a bunch of probably teenagers and we'll have a youth group, but just having young men around my boys in our home. You know, Derek was up here preaching. I mean, Derek's been in our house a ton, um, especially before he had his own kids, but just having them see Derek, see Bobby, just see many of you is just so valuable. It's, it's not just that Bobby tells us what to do or not to do, but he's just around there showing somebody other than dad who's seeking to, to fall after Christ. That's just so valuable. I remember one time bawling my eyes out. It was one of those moments of, I don't like ministry right now, and I just kind of hate the world. And I was having one of those cry moments, and it related to like Hadley and kids, and why don't we have more, and we're sharing. And Kevin, um, in that moment, I remember him just talking about, look who Hadley's around all the time. He's not in a, a separate room you know, on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings with just, you know, 20, 30, 100, you know, youth kids, you know, being led by a couple of good youth leaders, he is constantly having, it is Bobby in our home that says hysterical things, but tells Hadley, you know, 
how to respond to his dad and, and his modeling stuff. It's, it's all the, the dudes that are in their 20s that have taught Hadley how to be a dude that's going to be in his 20s, you know, in 10 years. And, and in those moments, as I started thinking about that, and you had me read something, I can't remember what it was, but just talking about a guy who was in a church plant and now he was, now he's a pastor and how the greatest thing that he experienced at the time, he thought he was missing out on all these youth events and all of these things that the other churches were doing. But as a church planning kid, do you remember that? As a church planning kid, he, um, he now, as an adult, looks back and sees that that was the most amazing thing and what led him to the gospel was seeing all these people that were a decade plus older than him living out how to be men. And Bobby's talked about like hard things with, with my son and things that Bobby has gone through that Kevin hasn't gone through. And those are huge things. Okay, well, one thing that we could all say, as Derek said so well today, is we could all say we're busy all the time. And so how do we do what God's called us to do in the local church? How do we disciple our kids? How do we do those things all kind of together? How do we basically integrate and not go insane with all there is to do? There's two parts of that question, but I'm going to run with one of them. The um, How do we do what we need to do in the busyness of life? The um, When... We're in community with just as a body. How do we build relationships? We do things together. So, for example, we have our gatherings together. We have our MCs together. We have fight clubs together. Those involve people being together. Now, how do you do that with kids? When you live life, do you include your kids in what you're doing? You know, when you're two, three, four, you know, son is with you as a dad. What are you doing as a dad? Are you taking your son with you and showing him how to do things? Um, and your son is watching you as a mom. What are you doing with your daughter? And not to say that dads can't do things with daughters and moms with sons, but as, as an example, what are we doing with our kids? The um, Interestingly, Laura and I were a part of a Middle, middle school youth group and Nate was eight, seven, eight, and the most of the kids in that youth group were 12, 13, 14. And we brought all our kids with us while we worked at it. And we had our kids there with us. Um, so Nate was eight, it means Kenya was only three, and she was there at the middle school youth group with us. <laughs> we brought our kids with us. We didn't, we didn't stop doing things because we had kids, we brought them with us. Harmony was a part of the youth group. Kenya is 10 years younger than Harmony. <clears throat> so that it doesn't matter that they're young. Bring your kids with you. Let them see what you're doing. The, um, I like that at this church here, what we do, we have the um, Karas kids, but at fifth grade, the kids are in here. And they're, they're old enough to sit down and listen and understand. Bring, but... Bring your kids with you. That's include them, and then you have you have more time to do stuff. But you're also showing, modeling, discipling your children through that. I think the other thing with that, as far as busyness goes, there are so many activities that kids can be a part of today, 
And there's such a pressure, I think, today to make sure that your kids are in dance and baseball and t-ball and this activity and that activity and piano lessons. And not none of those things are, are bad in and of themselves, but it's when we try to cram so much of that into a kid's life that we end up missing church activities or <clears throat> they're involved in two sports at one time and music lessons. I think there's a couple things to think about with, with that. Number one, like that's a lot of pressure on a kid because they're doing school full time and then you got them in sports and lessons. You got to figure out what, what's important. So for us, we decided sports, our kids like sports. So, okay, you can pick one sport that you're involved in per semester. And that way it won't dig too much into family time or to church time. Um, because family meals was also really important to us, and we liked to be together as much as possible because family meal time is a good time for discussion. That's a good time for discipleship. It's a good time to kind of feel the temperature of where your kids are at. So if you get your kids involved in too many activities, it's going to cut into that. And that really, I don't think you, we didn't want that to be the priority in our lives, going here, going there, going here, going there, because you could run yourselves ragged doing stuff like that. And then your kids are going to see that, Church isn't important. So one thing that we had decided is any sport that you're involved in, if it, it does something on Sunday that cuts into church time, we're not going to be able to do that because being a part of our church family is more important than a sport involvement. Um, and because honestly, and I think the more the older our kids got, the more we realized by the time Kenny was in, we don't need to get her in sports at five, you know, if if they're going to be gifted at baseball, like where they could do it on the college level, you can wait till they get a little bit older. Just, I mean, you're going to burn yourselves out if you try to do too much. Um, so I wouldn't say like, don't do stuff like that at all, because I think they're great, but I think you just got to kind of figure out the balance so that you're, everything is balanced. So you're not walking around. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I got to take my kid here and there and you know, everywhere. And I know some of you are young moms with really young ones and think, well, Laura, it's been a long, long time since she's had little ones, so they can say, take them with you. But let me tell you, I was kind of pushed into that scenario because we don't have grandparents that can help. And when we came here and planted a church, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I took my kids, whether it was two at the time or three, to the grocery store, to the doctor's appointments, whatever it was, to clean up Columbia, graffiti stuff, not everything I wanted to do. I'll tell you, it's exhausting and it's hard. But now that I have school-age kids and look back at my young, young kid time, that was the best thing that I could have done um, with young kids. And I see, you know, again, there's times that somebody can watch a kid when you you know, those, those moments, but overall pushing the cart and going through the grocery store took five times as long, but they learned to obey me the first time because they had to hold the cart. And usually I'd got in the van and I cried, <laughs> you know, it was exhausting. Or somebody made a comment to me about my crying baby. Like it, it's exhausting and it was tiresome, but it was the most special, greatest thing that I think I've screwed up a whole lot of stuff. But looking back at that, I'm like, I'm so glad I was kind of forced in that situation. Um, being church planners, it, it was a special moment. So I'm right there. I just came out of that season. I promise you, like, bring your kids with you to whatever you're doing, whether it's day-to-day -day life or doing things missionally for the city. And one of the things that we did kind of early on, too, with Harmony and Nate um, is we'd bring our pack-and-play 
with us if we were going to people's houses so that we could still be a part of MCs and just lay them down. And it was a little bit of extra work, and sometimes I would have to go in and, you know, kind of calm them down. But it enabled us to still be a part. We didn't want to, like, cut ourselves off from community just because we had kids. So yeah, as much as you can, do that. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to um, revolve um, everything around your kids. You know, you can be a child-centered home, and I would just encourage you so much to revolve your life and your family's life around Christ and the church. Um, bring them with with you and, and show them your priorities and, and, and how they can be a part of that. Can you talk a little bit about discipleship and discipline and how they relate and how you would, um, what advice you would give on that. I think a lot of people thought that this whole thing was about discipline. It's about discipleship, but they're related. Yeah, I think I kind of touched us on this a little bit earlier, but when one of our kids would do, have a, a bad behavior, we would pull them aside and spend time talking with them about whatever the issue was. And honestly, sometimes... I hope you don't mind this, but like with Nate, it would take a long time to talk about it because uh, it just would, it would, it took a long time just to try to get to whatever the root issue was and, um, and just work your child through that process of whatever the issue was. Um, so I think that, and then maybe there, there might be a spanking involved with it. Um, and if that was, if it was a direct disobedience to something that we had done. But, um, you know, anytime that we disciplined our kids, it was always uh, with instruction. And one of the things that Scott and I talked about, too, is just ending the time praying with the, the child, too, just so that, you know, you make sure that you bring God into whatever the situation is and that it's not just about the behavior. What, what were some of your biggest fears as parents? And how, how do you interpret those now, and what advice would you give? I think one of the biggest fears kind of goes back a little bit to one of the earlier questions, and that is the bringing your children to the point of understanding what the gospel is. But the biggest fear as a parent was that our kids would leave our home and not know who Christ was. The, um, and so that is it's easy to allow that to drive you to do something instead of allowing that to drive you to Christ to implore of him to do something in your kids' lives. It's not about me getting my kids to say, I know who Jesus is and I'm a believer. It's about me getting my kids to Christ so that Christ can can lead them to understand who he is um it's yeah it's not about me it's about Christ i think something that i thought about this morning in relation to this question is we are disciples of our kids is that jesus was a disciple maker and when he was here on earth he had 12 disciples and one of them chose not to to follow in the way even though he'd been with jesus for 3 years um, so I would say that, yes, one of my fears was that what my, one of my kids or some of my kids would not follow, um, in, in the ways that we were instructing them, but to realize that with Judas, that was his choice. Obviously Jesus was the best disciple maker ever. Um, and 
you know, he, he, it's not like he did a bad job of discipling Judas. Um, our responsibility is to disciple our kids. It's what our kids choose to do. And I think that I put a lot of responsibility on myself and thinking that it was like up to what Scott and I did with our kids. And that led to fear in my heart. And uh, it really took kind of a crisis in our life to bring me to the point where God was like, Laura, just like, stop. This is my job, not your job, you know? And I think that's where God kind of took over and said, just, just entrust your kids to me. You, you be faithful and, and you don't need to, to fear what's going to go on here. What, what have been um, some of your biggest regrets, some of the things that you felt, at least at the time, were failures? And just in all that, how would you encourage parents that are trying to figure it all out? Uh, I think I kind of alluded to this before, but I, I think that um, early on, a lot of my parenting was more um, behavior modification, um, wanting my kids to act a certain way because that's the way they're supposed to. Um, not necessarily looking at it as the fact that I want them to grow up to... I mean, I there was always that wanting them to become followers of Jesus, but just, I think, re- worrying too much about how my kids reflected on me rather than the fact that kids need to be glorifying God and reflecting Him. Um, so I wish that I had had a better grasp of that earlier on. And I think also just... Helping kids to helping our kids to get to the heart and the root issues. I wish that I had learned a lot of those principles earlier on. I came from a really legalistic church that was very works oriented, and I was very works oriented. And so my parenting leaned that way. And if I could push the rewind button, I wish I could get more. Me personally, because I think I, I don't, I feel like I, that was really a big struggle that I had. I don't, I think maybe a little bit with Scott too, but um, I, I see that particularly with Harmony and probably Nate, uh, I leaned more towards the behavior rather than the heart. That's why I think being part of Chorus and just understanding idols and finding identity in Christ is just like amazing that you guys are all young parents and you understand that because I didn't understand that. And God still works. I mean, he's gracious. The cool thing is that when we mess up, like, God's the one that's in control. Like, he's got our our kids' hit hearts in his hand. And even when we blow it and we fail, which we do, and, like, we're still parents and we're still um, messing up and learning, that He he's the one who's got their hearts and he uses us in the midst of our junk. <laughs> what are... Um... What are warnings, challenges, what are errors that you see happening around you that you may not want to just walk up to everyone all the time and, I wouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? I mean, you should sometimes, but what are things that maybe you're, you're seeing that concern you just in society in general, but maybe in the church as well? I think we've spoken to some of those already, but I think the big, the big issues is allowing our lives to revolve around our children like Kevin's spoken to that already, that our kids are not the center of the world. Um, and sometimes as a parent, that's hard to see. But my goal, or, you know, our goal should be to get our children to see that Christ is the center of the world and we are second to Him. 
the um, I think that's one of the big things. Yeah, I'd say that's a a huge thing that I see, and I think because it, it, the tendency is to revolve your life around your kids, your your marriage can easily get neglected. You have to make your husband a priority um, over your kids. Um, I think pretty early on we made it a priority to have at least one night a week where we could to just have some time together, um, working on our relationship because, and, and making sure that we're in sync with our, with our parenting, like that we didn't really mention that at all, but like, that's crucial, like to make sure that you're on the same page. And when you're not, and a situation's going on, separate yourself from the kids and talk about it, not in front of them, because that's, you don't want kids to see that you're not on the same page. They need to see that you're a team united together. But um, also, even as an educator, the the whole helicopter parenting thing, like where you just, your kids are never wrong, um, and you, you step in and the, the, it's the teacher's fault, and it's the kids go to college now, and parents are emailing professors like, no, like you, our job is to let kids grow up. Like what um, Derek was talking about, we're, we're stewards of our kids. Our job is to raise them up to be godly people, to be servants of the Lord, to let them go out and, and serve him, not serve themselves. But I think that a lot of the tendency of society today is it's all about them. It's all about kids and and they're just growing up with really selfish mentalities because it's all about them. And that, that's heartbreaking. There's another thing that I would mention. That is teaching your kids behavior modification versus actually heart, true heart change. And um, one of my kids recently, um, and I did ask her permission, <laughs> um, Laura had asked Kenya if she would do something in Kenya said yes, and then she rolled her eyes. And I'd say about every teenage girl has rolled her eyes at least once. Um, and and so we talked about that later, and the eye rolling revealed that there was a different heart attitude than the yes answer did. And so next time Kenya does that, I can tell her, well, you don't roll your eyes and you say yes, but have I really addressed the heart issue? And if I just address the behavior, then I'm really missing, again, pushing my children to understand that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Well, we are certainly blessed to have Scott and Laura as a part of our Cars Church family. Be sure to go into your podcast app or another app like Downcast or Overcast and subscribe to the podcast because you don't want to miss an episode. Until next time, grace and peace. Your hymn of grace over me, abounding forth in glorious streams. My thirst is quenched by my Lord, sustained and my redeemed restored. Sustained and my redeemed.